I want to invite you to turn your Bibles with me to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 3. So, if you have not been with us the last several weeks, we are in the midst of a series called Life in Babylon, where we are simply asking or answering the question, and we're not answering the question, we're looking to what Scripture says, about how you and I are to live for Christ while we live in an environment or a culture that is increasingly hostile to the things of Christ. Sometimes the pressure of the world or the culture can be so strong that we feel like we are in the minority or we feel like we are, are, are at vastly outnumbered or we may feel like we are not in a place of advantage um, because of the stand we've taken in Christ. But I am always reminded of what the Word says, that if God be for me, who can be against me? And it's not this mentality of it's me against the world. We are not called to be enemies of the world. We're not called to be enemies of, of, of those who are not in Christ. We are called to be, to be against the, 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 the heart, the mind, the will that is, that is opposed to the rule of God. That's what we're called to stand up to. That's what we're called to stand up against. And it's not a flesh and blood battle. The Bible says we're not warring against flesh and blood. We're warring against spiritual forces of wickedness who are seeking to exert this ungodly influence on our culture. And we are seeing that increasingly, um, um, incre increasing more and more as the days go by. I was listening to the news this morning as I was getting ready to come to church. And um, I, I heard a story that really saddened my heart. Uh, it was about a young person, a teenager who just graduated. Now, we, you know, we're in graduation season. We have students who graduated from high school, from college, um, and are entering into the next season of their lives. And, and for, for these students, getting the opportunity to walk across that stage to receive a diploma, acknowledging that you've finished uh, the requirements to move to the next stage, uh, is something that every graduate looks forward to. And this young man was deprived of the opportunity to, to do so simply because he held to the view that there are only two genders, male, and female. And because he held to this view, he was told he would not be allowed to, to walk with his peers. And apparently there was, some, there was an outcry against the school's decision to not let him walk. Uh, some students were picketing, basically putting pressure on the school administration to change their mind, but they stood their ground and they said no. And this young man was not allowed to graduate. If you've been watching the news, you know that we've been dealing with uh, this, I don't even know how to describe it. I can't call it a gender war because it's not male versus female. But what I see it as is nothing more than the enemy seeking to bring confusion into our culture. Where the enemy wants us to embrace this idea that what is evil, what the Bible says is wrong, can somehow be right. And that what the Bible says is right is somehow wrong. Isaiah said, woe to the person who does that. God speaks clearly against a mindset or an approach that, that suggests that, that what God says is evil, that man can somehow suggest or justify as being good. Ultimately, the Bible warns us that one day we will all stand before God and give an account. We don't live for ourselves. We don't live unto ourselves. God sits on the throne. And because He sits on the throne, He sets the standard by how we are to live. And ultimately, we are accountable to Him. So it's not going to be, well, what did culture say you should do? Or what did culture ask you to embrace? No, it is, did you do what I asked you to do? Did you follow my way? Did you toe the line that I said? Did you live by my standard? Or did you simply embrace yours? The question that every one of us as followers of Christ must answer. Today, tomorrow, every single day until Christ calls us home is this. 
as we are living in a culture and in a time where the, 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 a worldly mindset, a carnal mindset, an ungodly mindset seemingly seems to be gaining greater strength in, in imposing its view or its values on us, what are we going to do in response? Are we going to reserve ourselves to a corner and just hope that we can stay in that corner and the world will never bother us and, and we, won't, we won't ever have to deal with all of those issues? And as long as it's not at my doorstep, I don't have to have an opinion, I don't have to take a stand. What we need to understand is this, what we tolerate today, we will be forced to embrace tomorrow. And as believers, again, I'm saying, to you, I'm saying this to you and I must emphasize this, we are not called to fight flesh and blood. That's not the fight we're called to. We are called to a spiritual fight. And, and our greatest weapon, friends, is prayer. Our greatest weapon is the Word. And it is the word that gives us the, 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 the wherewithal, the, the conviction, the courage, the boldness to speak up, to stand up, and to stand out for godliness. Because if we keep quiet, friends, what hope does the world have? If believers keep quiet, if believers do not take a stand, what hope does the world have? So we've been going for this last several weeks studying the book of Daniel. We're looking at these men, these four young men, Daniel and his three friends, uh, Mich Mishael, Azariah, and, and um, um, uh, Abednego. And, and these, these four young men, the Bible says, were plucked out of Judah. They were taken out of Judah as exiles when Nebuchadnezzar invaded Judah and he leveled that city. And he brought them over to um, Babylon along with so many others. And his goal was that he was going to indoctrinate them into the Babylonian way of life and the Babylonian way of thinking. And over the last several weeks, we looked at the different ways that these four young men stood up to the pressure to compromise, the pressure to give in to the uh, views and values of this pagan culture. And, and, and using the story of these young men as a backdrop, we learned that if we, are, if we are to live for God, it's going to require several things. Number one, it will require a resolve to honor God. Daniel 1 tells us that, the, that, that when Daniel and his friends were offered the king's food, the king's food, the best of the best, these four men said no. Why? Because they knew that this food had been dedicated to idols. And because they were set apart for Jehovah, they were set apart to live for him and to serve him, that they could not justify eating or consuming what was dedicated to idols and yet expect that they would still be right with God. They said, no, we cannot. And the Bible says that these four young men honored their commitment to the Lord and God backed them up by demonstrating to those who were responsible for their care that, that, that in trusting God, they had made a better decision. What we learn from this is this, that God honors the commitment that we make when we choose to keep ourselves holy and separated for Him. That's what Daniel and his friends did. They honored the commitment um, not to defile themselves by eating, the, eating food dedicated to idols. They resolved to honor God. The second thing we learn is that we need to trust God's rule. We looked at the story of what happened when the Bible says Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and he had this dream. He could not remember what happened in this dream, but yet it was so disturbing that, that Nebuchadnezzar had to know what this dream meant. And so he, he calls his, uh, his uh, wise man and he tells him, guys, I had this dream. I need you to help me figure this dream out so I, I can know how to respond to this dream. And the Bible says that the wise man said, okay, fine, king, tell us what you dreamt. And the king said, well, that's the problem. I don't remember what I had and what I dreamed about. And you're going to tell me what I dreamed about. And if you don't tell me what I dreamed about and then tell me what that dream means, I'm going to take your life. 
And so chaos and confusion reigned at that period because these wise men understood that what the king was asking to do was impossible, humanly speaking. In fact, they acknowledged it, that only the gods can tell you what you dreamt and then tell you what it means. And the gods don't live among us. But save one person, Daniel and his, four fr and his three friends, and they came to the king and they said, we will go and inquire of our Lord. And, the God, and God gave them the, the dream and he gave them the meaning of that dream. And they were able to come back and relate to the king what those dreams meant. But in doing so, they, was, they, they, they acknowledged to the king that God is sovereign over the affairs of men. That it is God that has the final say over our lives. And so in that, in that circumstance and situation where their lives literally hung on the balance, these four men trusted God's rule and allowed God's rule to, 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 to prevail in a, in a very difficult circumstance. Today I want to focus on chapter 3. We're talking about how, to, how do we live for God in a culture that is increasingly hostile to the things of God. And I want to challenge you with this idea that God calls you and I to live with conviction. Everybody say conviction. God calls us to live with conviction. We're going to see in the story we're about to read, God honoring the stand that was taken by three of these four men. Now, first question I asked when I came to this chapter, first time I read this chapter, of course, was where was Daniel? Like, I mean, we only read about three guys. Where was Daniel? Now, I'm not going to speculate. I'm not going to suggest that Daniel was amongst those who uh, bowed, you know, the knee to this idol that we're going to read about. But because I believe that Daniel was a man of righteousness, he was a man of faith and conviction. For whatever reason, Daniel was not in this scenario uh, when this took place. But yet we see these three men, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, take a stand for God in a situation when their lives, again, literally hung in the balance. I, I, I came across a quote, and I, and I thought it was such a powerful quote that I felt the need to share it with you. Courage isn't the absence of fear but the judgment that something else is more important than fear. I want you to think about that. Courage, boldness, is, in, is not the absence of fear, but the judgment that something else is more important. That, that rather than fear, fear itself, or whatever may create fear, that, that there are things that are greater than, than the fear itself. In fact, I remember the scripture, I don't remember the particular reference, forgive me, um, but, but in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul makes a statement suggesting that, that if we're to choose between uh, obeying man and obeying God, it's a no-brainer. I obey God. Because the worst that man can do is destroy this flesh. But what God can do is not only destroy the flesh, but destroy the soul. So ultimately... Ultimately, we must understand that there are greater things than fear itself. So imagine what happened when these three young men were told that the king... Now, this is piggybacking off of chapter 2. Remember that dream that Nebuchadnezzar had? If you're not familiar with that story, he had a dream where he saw this statue. And this statue was a magnificent looking structure. But what was interesting about this statue was that it was made of different elements. And each of these elements represented a different age in time throughout history and would represent powers that God would raise, would allow to rule and reign for a period. And the idea was that, that at a point that, that, that God would bring an end to what, 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 what we can basically um, understand to be human authority or human rule to establish his eternal reign. 
And, and the Bible tells us that in that scenario, in this story, this image that Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream, that the head of this statue was made of gold, that head represented him. It represented his rule. Nebuchadnezzar walks away from this dream, this encounter, this explanation by Daniel and his friends of what this dream meant. But some historians suggest that it's about 25 years had gone by. Nebuchadnezzar decides that he wants his rule to be established forever. And so he decides he's going to have a statue that fits the, the, the description of what he saw in his dream, but it was going to be made of pure gold. And he wanted this statue to be put in such a prominent place that everybody that saw it in his kingdom would, at, the, at a prompting, bow down and worship. And he made, it stay, he made it clear to everybody, if you do not bow and worship this statue, you are going to die. He was not ambiguous. He was not, he was not you know, just speaking hyperbole. He was serious. If you do not bow to this statue, you will die. And the scripture says that when the prompting was given, these, uh, those who were gathered throughout his kingdom, who had heard this message, began to bow to this idol except for three men. And eventually word got to Nebuchadnezzar that there were three men who refused to bow the knee. And the Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar called these three men to his presence and he interrogated them and he wanted to know why they would not bow to these idols, the, the idol he had erected. And the scripture tells us that these three men basically responded to the, to the king that, 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 that regardless of what he was going to do to them, regardless of his threats against them, that they were not going to bow the knee. Nebuchadnezzar, you know, the Bible says, had some such, you know, he, he regarded them with such favor that he gave them a second chance and they still refused. And then the Bible says that eventually Nebuchadnezzar was forced to basically do what he said he was going to do and to have these men thrown into a fiery furnace. But I want you to hear what verse 16 says. This is the exchange between Nebuchadnezzar and these three men. When the king says to them, you need to bow to this idol. If you do not bow it to it, you will be thrown into a blazing furnace. And then he makes this statement. He says, then what God, again, he knew that these, these, four, these three men and Daniel served, this, 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 they served the God of, 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 their, of their people, Jehovah. The same God who showed him the dream and gave him the meaning of this dream 25 plus years ago. And so Nebuchadnezzar is saying to these three young men, that God you serve, let us see if he's going to save you from my hand today. And the scripture says in verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does, and that part is important because many times we often think, think at least from our perspective, we, we sometimes think, that everything that God does on our behalf will always end positively for us. Sometimes God says to us, are you willing to die? Are you willing to surrender all for my sake? It's not always, following Christ is not always peaches and roses. It's not always, it's not always pleasant. It's not always comfortable. Sometimes it requires us to pay the ultimate price. You saw this in the early church. Many of them were killed for their faith. Yes, they were trusting that God would deliver them. Remember, remember Stephen? When he was martyred? Stephen had every expectation that, 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 that he would be delivered, but yet he recognized that if it required that he give his life up for the sake of Christ, he was going to do it anyway. Listen to these, four, these three young men. Even if God does not save us, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your God or worship the image of gold you've set up. That is conviction. 
It doesn't matter what you do to us, king. We are not going to serve this idol. And the Bible says Nebuchadnezzar was upset. He flew into such a rage that he asked his associates to make that furnace seven times hotter. I don't know how you can make fire seven times hotter. Fire is fire. <laughs> but he told them, make the fire seven times hotter. And he had these, four, these three young men bundled and thrown into this fire. And so intense were the flames that the men who were trying to bundle them into the fire, the scripture says they died. They were killed. That's how intense this fire was. But here's what happened in verse 24. Then the king leaped to his feet in amazement and he asked his advisors, Wherein there are three men that we tied up and threw into this fire? And they replied, Certainly, your majesty. He said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire. Walking around in fire. And, I mean, unbound, excuse me, and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. In verse 26, Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of that blazing furnace and he shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. Remember this man who just said a moment ago, not even your God is going to save you after I'm done with you. Now he's saying to them, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. And the Bible says when they came out, those who were surrounding them, the prefects, governors, royal advisors, they came around them, saw that the fire had not harmed their body, not a hair on their head was singed, their robes were now scorched, and there was not even a smell of fire on these three, three, three young men. And then in verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar then said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command, and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. And then he would go on to make a decree, basically saying that anyone who would speak against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would be put to death. These three young men had the opportunity, given, given the, the, the invitation to either bow the knee or die, compromise their faith in their god, or lose their lives, these three young men said, it doesn't matter what the king says, it doesn't matter how much threats he makes in our direction, we will not bow the knee. And in the same way as these three young men were able to, in a time of great pressure and, 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 and temptation to compromise to save their own skin, they were willing to take a stand because they believed the God they served. They were so focused on him that in focusing on him, they found the strength and the courage to overcome that temptation to compromise. What was true for them is also true for you and I today. The same pressures that they faced, that they were confronted with, to conform, to go along with, to, to acquiesce to the demands of the culture that did not know God, was not interested in serving God, is the same pressures you and I face today. Yeah, maybe a different form, maybe a different, different way, but it's still the same spirit behind that, that anti-God anti mentality where, where it's all about trying to overthrow God's rule in our lives and put ourselves on the throne. That mentality still exists even to this day. But just as these three young men stood for God and they were not willing to compromise on their faith, and they did so by focusing on the Lord in the same way you and I, when we learn to focus on Christ, we will find the courage and the strength we need to stay faithful to Him. And there's three things I want to quickly share with you this morning about how we do that. Those who focus on the Lord, those who focus on Christ, who anchor their lives to His, and their identity is rooted in who He is, 
and they follow his leading, no matter what, no matter what opportunity may come for you to compromise or to turn your back on the Lord, these three characteristics are found in those who are focused on Christ. And because they do so, finds courage and strength to overcome. Number one, living for the Lord or focusing on Christ means or involves understanding that a godly life will always attract the displeasure of the ungodly. You and I need to make up, we, 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 need, to, we need to make up our minds that when you and I choose to follow Christ, those who are resolved not to follow will not approve. When you came to faith in Christ, think about the people that you knew, people that you were, you, you were in relationship with, you were friends with, you were associated with, who you know, at the time you came to faith in Christ did not share your values, did not share your beliefs, did not share your conviction, and, and, and probably ridiculed your commitment to Christ or, or made fun of your, your newfound faith. When I came to faith in Christ, I had peers that were telling me that they didn't think it was going to last. That it was an emotional reaction, it was an emotional response, that it's, he, he's going to come down to earth, he's going to come to his senses, because they did not approve of, of, of the new life I was committed to living. And I kept telling them, no, I, I, I cannot live that way anymore, I belong to the Lord. And, and we need to understand when we are committed to living for God, there will be people who will not approve. In your jobs, there will be people who are not going to approve. But your, your commitment to walking in integrity and living in honesty and, 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 and being, a, being a faithful steward of the responsibility that has been entrusted to you by those who, to whom you report to. In your school, students, there are going to be peers who are not going to agree with your commitment to, to not do the things that, that, that quote-unquote other teenagers do and, and other young people do. Because of your commitment to the Lord, they're not going to approve. And, and while maybe for the most part you may not hear much opposition, there are going to come times where, you, where, where the opposition will, will, will hit you head on and you have to know, what am I going to do in response? Am I going to acquiesce? Am I going to back down? Am I going to compromise? Or am I going to take a stand? But we must always understand, friends, that, that a godly life will always attract the displeasure of the ungodly. I want you to hear what Proverbs 29 verse 27 says. An unjust person is an abomination to the righteous. And the one who lives an upright life is an abomination to the wicked. This is why the Bible says that, 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 that light and darkness cannot coexist. They, 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 they by nature cannot mingle. You can't have both. Where there is light, darkness has no place. Where there is darkness, there is no room for light. But both cannot coexist in the same space. And in the same way, we need to understand that a life of godliness will meet the disapproval of those who choose to live ungodly. It'll meet criticism, it'll meet ridicule, it'll meet scorn and, 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 and whatever derision that the world throws our way. Why? Because we're committed to living for the Lord. So let us get away from this mindset that somehow we can be in harmony with the world. We were never called to be in harmony with the world. We were never called to be in harmony with the way of the world's thinking. We are called to stand up for Christ. Again, I want you to hear what Paul Peter says in 1 Peter 4, verse 16 and 14 and 16. And I'm reading from the message translation. He says, if you're abused because of Christ, count yourself fortunate. That's, that's an odd way of thinking, isn't it? That if you're being ridiculed or being scorned or made fun of because of your stand for Christ, consider yourself fortunate. But look at what he says next. It is the Spirit of God and His glory in you. His glory, not your glory, His glory. That brought you to the notice of others. Remember that scripture, Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before men. So that they may do what? See. Everybody say see. 
Let your light shine before men that they may see. It's not a giving. It's not an issue of if they will see. It's they will see. When, when Jesus says that you light a lamp and you put it in a prominent place to give light, it's this idea that when you and I are called to follow him, we, 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 we cannot hide who we are. We, 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 can, we cannot mask it, we cannot camouflage, we cannot pretend to be what we are not. By nature, we are called to, 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 to draw others, to attract others to the glory of God. But this is what he goes on to say. But if it's because you're a Christian, when he talks about, in verse 15, he talks about the fact that, you know, if you're being persecuted, if it's because of maybe bad decisions, wrong decisions, wrong choices, that's a different story. But we're talking about being abused, being ridiculed, being, being com confronted by the world because of your commitment to the Lord. In verse 16, he said, but if it's because you're a Christian, don't give it a second thought, but be proud. Again, he's saying to us, when you, are, when, you, when you are confronted by the world because of your stand for Christ, be proud. Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. Don't cower you know, in, in, into the corner because, because the, 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 you, you feel like you're in the minority. No, be proud of the distinguished status that is reflected in that name. What is the name? The name Christian. Because remember, Scripture tells us it was in Antioch. That the believers, the followers of Christ were first called Christians. Why? Because those who called them Christians saw that they were living the teachings of Christ. When people see us, when they, when they look at our lives, do they see? Do they see that we are followers of Christ? Do they see that we're committed to living for Him? And yes, there will be some who will approve, who will, who will, be, who will be in support of, 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 of the stand we take because, because their heart bears witness with the, with the, with, with the value and, and, and how right it is to live for God. But there will be those who will not. And sometimes, friends, you may have a boss who is not a believer and because they know you're a believer will keep promotion from you. You may have co-workers that will ostracize you because they know that, that when you're around, they can't say the things they say, they can't do the things they do, they can't act the way they act because, because you're around them, because they know you're a Christian. And for that reason, they ridicule you, they make fun of you, they keep you aside. Rather than see that as a disadvantage, it is an advantage. Because what you're doing is you align the light of Christ be seen in you. These three young men understood that if they were to live for God, they were going to get the attention of the king. They knew, because already the word had gone out, if you do not bow down to this idol, you're going to die. And yet these men still chose to not bow. They had to have known that eventually the king was going to find out. But yet they were willing to stand. Why? Because they were focused on him. They were focused on him, and in him they found strength and courage to stand. Here's the second thing. Those who focus on the Lord trust that God never forsakes his own when we face trials for his sake. Sometimes we have this idea that God's, that, 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 that God's responsibility is to keep us from trial. When we go through, and maybe you're like me, you find yourself in a difficult experience, a situation, and you're saying to yourself, Lord, why me? Why now? Why am I going through this? And our assumption is that God should have prevented this from happening. God shouldn't even have allowed it to happen. But here's the thing, friends. If God allows us to go through a trial, it's for a reason. And the trial is not to, as it were, test us to see what our resolve is. A trial is an opportunity for us to depend on Him. Not to try to prove that we can, we, can, we, can, we can fight this fight on our own, in our own strength or wisdom, but it's so that we can depend on Him. And so more so when we are called to take a stand for His sake, are we willing to trust that in taking a stand for Him, that we are not alone in that stand? These three young men said to the king, we believe that our God is able to deliver us. 
That's what drove their stand, their confidence that God would not leave them hanging. He would not leave them alone in that situation. That's why Isaiah 43 verse 2 says, When you go through deep waters and great trouble, God says, I will be with you. Do you hear that? God is saying to you, I don't know what situation you may be going through today where you feel like you're facing tremendous pressure to go along with the way of the world, but, but you recognize that you belong to Christ and, and that you have to follow His way and, and, and you're constantly, there's this battle within you and maybe outside of you calling you to, to, to go away that, that you know is not going to honor God and you're struggling. You're struggling, you feel, you feel alone, you feel like there's no one that will relate or understand what you're dealing with. And, and maybe, maybe this one time I will go along, but the next time I know I won't go along. No, listen to me this morning. God wants you to know He is with you. You're going through deep, deep waters, you're going through difficult times, He is with you. On your job, in your school, in your circle of friends, God says He is with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. Why? Because the flames will not consume you. God says when you and I take a stand for Him, we can be assured that when we do so for His sake, He will he'll be with us. You don't have to worry about whether God is standing by you. As you walk through affliction, you can trust that the God of the universe is by your side. Why? Because you've taken a stand by His. And God will not forsake you. He will not abandon you. And here's the third point. Those who are focused on the Lord and in doing so find their strength and courage to take a stand, always live in the expectation that God will be glorified no matter the outcome. Again, sometimes we have this mentality that every trial we face face. That the only way that it can glorify God is when we come out of the trial and escape. But what about the trial that's going to cause us to ultimately give, about, give our lives? What about the trial that involves us giving up everything? Sacrificing everything. Is it, is it less worth or less valued than, than, than a different situation where the person comes out of it better than they went in? Again, we look at the scriptures, the example of the early church. Many of them lost their lives for their faith. Was it a sign of defeat or, or, or loss that they lost their lives? No. Paul the Apostle said in Philippians, he said, he said to live is Christ, to die is what? It's gain. It's gain. That, that when, when, when I live for God and when I'm committed to Him, anything I give up for His sake is nothing compared to what I gain because I follow Him. Because God is not a debtor. God, would, God is not a debtor. When you are committed to Him, He will honor your commitment. And he, he calls you and I, like He did these three young men, to live with the expectation that no matter the outcome of that situation we find ourselves in, that ultimately our desire is that God is glorified. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 1.20. My eager expectation and hope is that I would not be ashamed about anything. Paul was nearing the end of his life. He was nearing the end of his journey. And even then he was saying to the believers that I long to be with you. I long to spend time with you. I long to be among you. I long to fellowship with you. Why? Because he was committed to investing in them spiritually. But Paul also knew that there was, going to, there was going to come a time where his work, his mission would be over. Goes on to say, but that now as always with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So Paul says, whether I, God, God allows me the grace to continue to live, if he does so, I will continue the work he has asked me to do. But if ultimately I lose my life for his sake, no matter whether I live or whether I die, my desire is that he be glorified. Do we have that same mindset? Again, 
Part of, the, part of the issue that the Western church has had is that we are so comfortable. We have brothers and sisters around the world who literally cannot do what we are doing for fear that the authorities will, will find them out, will arrest them, will imprison them, will probably even put them to death. Now, it doesn't stop them from meeting, it doesn't stop them from still, you know, still, still, stay, still staying connected with other believers. But, but sometimes we can enjoy freedoms and fail to realize how valuable those freedoms are. And they become commonplace, we take them for granted. Where the things of God, the prior, you know, prioritizing the Lord and relationship with God becomes, it becomes second thought, it becomes afterthought. Why? Because we've given credence to more important, in our minds, more important things and obligations and duties and responsibilities. And yet God is saying to us, no, nothing is more important to me, to you. Nothing should be more important to you than I am. Should we have to wait until we are facing persecution before we, before we are committed to, to taking a stand for the Lord? Is that what we're waiting for? Are we, are we waiting to literally have, have, have our lives on the, on the balance before we are committed to, 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 to living by conviction? Friends, we, we cannot wait. We start now by taking a stand, by, by speaking truth, by living boldly, by confronting the sin that is in our lives and, and around us. Again, not, not, not in a judgmental way, but what we are called to do is we're called to proclaim truth. We're called to pro- proclaim righteousness. And it's, it's, it's not for us to simply proclaim if we're not living for the Lord. But every one of us must search our hearts and, and identify, Lord, is there anything in me that, that represents compromise? Is there anything in my life that I've allowed to just sit and to just fester and have not, not followed the Holy Spirit's prompting to deal with that issue? God help me this morning. That's the invitation to us today. These three young men could do what they did. Why? Because they were focused on God. If we are to take a stand for him and to live faithfully before him today, friends, in 2023, friends, we must do the same. Don't look to a man. Don't look to a pastor. Don't look to some. Look to him. Look to Jesus. He is the one that will give you the strength and the courage to take a stand for him. But more importantly, just as important, excuse me, is, is, is this idea that, that we are in this together. That, I, that when I stand, I'm not standing alone. That there are other believers who are with me. Remember, and I'm going to close with this thought. Remember what happened with Elijah. This man who just a day or two before had, had made a spectacle of, of, this, of this dead god named Baal. And executed 450 of, of, um, of Baal's priests. And, and the Bible says that on the heels of, of God using Elijah, re, great revival swept through the nation of Judah. And then what happened? Jezebel said to, sent a message to Elijah saying that, that, that by this time tomorrow, what, what has happened to those priests will be your portion. And what happened? This great man of God took to flight. And one of the things the Bible says Elijah did was he was crying to God, I'm the only one God. There is no one else that is standing for you. I'm the only one. And God said, who do you... I, you are not the only one. I have reserved others who are standing for me, who are faithful to me. You are not the only one. Imagine how that must have felt for Elijah to know he was not by himself. It is Satan that wants us to believe when we are faced with trials or, or we're faced with pressure to, to conform that we are in the minority, that we are alone. But we are not alone. 
You are part of the body of Christ. You're part of the church that the word says the gates of hell, no matter how hard it tries, will not prevail against it. Why? Because greater is he that is in you and in me than he that is in the world. Friends, let us, let us not live in fear. Let us ask the Lord to give us boldness and courage to live for him. And in doing so, we bring glory to him. People are drawn to him because they see him work in us. Christianity isn't devotion to a work or a cause or a doctrine, friends. Christianity is devotion to a person named Christ. Are you willing to demonstrate that devotion every single day and to allow Christ to be seen in you? When you know who you are living for, you're not going to yield so readily to pressure to compromise. When you know who you are living for, when you know who has called you, to whom you belong, you will not yield so easily to compromise. You won't separate yourself from the obligation to live for him. Why? Because you recognize that I and Christ are one. I am joined to him. I am grafted into him. I am a part of him. And everything about me is meant to reflect who he is. And that's my commitment. I want to invite every head bowed, every eyes closed this morning. I don't know about you, but the story of Daniel and his friends it's a story that I love to go back to over and over and over again. And I think it speaks to the need for us as the church, the body of Christ, to take seriously the bold witness that God has called us to have in the world. Again, if we, the church, do not take a stand for Christ, what hope does the world have if we're not willing to be bold and courageous for his sake? And I want to pray for you this morning that God would help you in your maximum impact environment, maybe your job, maybe your school, your neighborhood, your circle of friends, your relationship, your home, that where God has placed you, that God would raise you to be a bold witness for him. One who is not ashamed as Paul says of this gospel because you believe it is the power of God to change people's lives. And because this gospel has changed your life, you want it to change other people's lives as well. And you are committed to that process of God changing people's lives because he brings them to the saving knowledge of his son Jesus.